Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. from all the cultures, of all the people, all over the world. If you hear uh, like you think the, the ones on, what do you call it, music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music, if we had good music playing for people in a happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music, I have a new record coming out. I feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley, and this is the weekly news and media talk show. My partner, Jim Dwyer, uh, is out of town, so he'll be back next week with us. Well, uh, inauguration is over and done with. The protest uh, march was, I think, a big success. And it sent a message to um, the president that um, not everybody supports what he stands for or what he's doing. And I think that that is maybe the big story, is that uh, the, the country is still very divided. This is a man who did not win a majority of the vote. In fact, Hillary Clinton actually won more popular votes. I think that fact needs to be uh, repeatedly reiterated to Mr. Trump as he moves forward. And what direction we're moving in is uh, somewhat unclear, uh, but also somewhat known. I do think that there will be rather large tax cuts for the wealthy. Um, there will be... Uh, some sort of superficial attempt to build a wall. NAFTA will probably be tweaked or renegotiated. And uh, other things are unclear. Mr. Trump's inaugural address was one of the worst in American history. End of story. It was an extension of his campaign rhetoric it was inaccurate, it was ahistorical, 
and I think it was a, a missed opportunity on on his part. I think that his transition uh, since he became the so-called president-elect has been largely a mixed, failed bag of garbage. Some of his nominees for cabinet positions are probably uh, decent people who probably can do their jobs properly. Uh, there does seem to be a disproportionate number of white men in their 70s. But other than that, and there, there seem to be some egregiously unqualified people heading up some other agencies who have yet to be confirmed. On the positive side, I think it's uh, good news that Secretary of Defense uh, James Mattis was sworn in on Friday, Friday afternoon. Uh, this is one of the most important positions in the American government, and I do think that Mattis uh, can act as a buffer and check, maybe not a balance, but a check against uh, some of Trump's more uh, outrageous uh, concepts and ideas. I don't think that uh, we're going to be at war within the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to see a lot of trial balloons from Donald Trump. He's a specialist in trial balloons. But uh, he's he's missed an opportunity uh, without any doubt. And I think that the performance yesterday by Sean Spicer, his uh, press secretary, and Kellyanne Conway, who seems to be sort of his continuing campaign surrogate for the talk shows, uh, is somewhat alarming. I'm not too sure what alternative facts are. Things are either facts or their opinions, or they are fiction. And for that phrase to even be uttered in response to the fairly outrageous performance by Sean Spicer is in itself somewhat troubling. I don't really want to get into a silly debate about the numbers regarding the protest or the inauguration. I think that's been pretty well established. Uh, many more people watched Barack Obama in both inaugurals. That's quite clear. Um, and there were more people at the protests on Saturday. The protest was a day in which Americans who opposed Trump made their... And these were global protests, by the way. Uh, this sort of reminds me a little bit, by the way, of some of the global protests in 1983 against Ronald Reagan. There was a movement uh, in the early 80s called uh, SANE, and the globe was rather alarmed at Ronald Reagan's desire to build more nuclear weapons. There was a massive nuclear buildup in the United States in the 1980s. It was a waste of money, and Reagan did successfully uh, put in intermediate nuclear missiles into Western Europe at a great political cost, by the way, to Francois Mitterrand and Helmut Kohl, chancellors. He was the chancellor of Germany at the time. Mitterrand, president of France, they were basically opposed to this idea. So there was a lot of arm twisting and whatnot that went on for many years. And then, oddly enough, Reagan 
negotiated them away in uh, the deals that he made with Gorbachev in the late 80s uh, because he was in trouble uh, politically due to the Iran-Contra affair. Trump's uh, speech, I don't think we need to uh, dissect it, but uh, perhaps one of the more alarming comments in it or statements in it was this uh, revival of the American first um, expression. Trump at one point, and I understand that he was ad-libbing at this point, said America first, only America first. And that should send some alarm bells out to the world. I am exceedingly skeptical that Donald Trump is going to be able to massively renegotiate trade deals and move jobs back to the United States in the form of manufacturing. Manufacturing is declining all over the world, and it's declining because of automation. It's declining because of comparative advantage, which is an economic concept that Donald Trump seems to not be aware of. And the United States, of course, lost uh, at the turn of the, from the 19th to the 20th century, an enormous number of jobs in the agricultural sector. In 1900 in the United States, about 40% of Americans were employed in agricultural work. By the end of the 20th century, it was 2%. And economic societies change due to automation. We don't need as many migrant farm workers as we once did. We have more machines to deal with some of our crops. And many of the technological advances that were made by the great engineering and tech scientific uh, innovations that, were, that occurred in the United States and Western Europe in the late 19th century led to these changes. We didn't have electricity uh, in 1800. We barely had the steam engine. We didn't burn a lot of coal in 1800. We burned wood. The British Navy switched from wood to coal. And then eventually they switched from coal to oil. So technological changes are just simply a fact of life. And Donald Trump can't change those facts. I'm not as pessimistic as some. We know that China, for instance, just in the last week canceled 100 coal-powered power, coal power plants in their country. They're moving in the green direction for energy production and Donald Trump is not going to bring back coal jobs to the United States. That's one prediction I will make. Because he doesn't have anywhere to sell the coal. There's only one country on the planet right now that's actually buying more coal than it was, say, five years ago. That's India. And India is buying more coal because it has a rapidly growing population. But even India realizes that it must go renewable. So Donald Trump's claims about bringing back coal jobs are not going to happen. And it is very important, I think, for many people 
to realize that Donald Trump, when he keeps talking about bringing back manufacturing jobs to the United States, is simply unacquainted with the facts. Let me quote something from Eduardo Porter, uh, an economic correspondent for the New York Times. Unfortunately, I don't seem to have the date on this uh, this file here, but it's recent. He writes, look at it this way. Over the course of the 20th century, farm employment in the United States dropped from 2% of the workforce from 41%, even as output soared. Since 1950, manufacturing share has shrunk to 8.5% of non-farm jobs from 24%. It still has a ways to go. And the problems that we're having economically, by the way, are factually not being addressed by Donald Trump. We need improved distribution of pay. Managers are making too much money and workers are making too little money. Now, you can make all kinds of arguments for why that's happening. I would argue, because productivity kind of goes up and down in spurts, but corporations decide how money is distributed to their workers. And shareholders get in my opinion, too much money, and workers not enough. And we need to remedy that through the uh, tax code, not through massive tax cuts for rich people. Giving rich people more money is not going to create manufacturing jobs in Pennsylvania. It's not going to happen. Rich people can only consume so much. And our labor unions, by the way, have declined in power. In the 1950s, which we presume is what Trump talks about when he says, make America great again, leaving aside all of the problems that the 1950s had with respect to Jim Crow laws, with respect to anti-communist hysteria, with respect to the cultural wonder-bred civilization that America had, This, in my mind, is what Donald Trump is implying by this strange statement, make America great again. I don't know what it really means. As for the idea that America is going to start acting more unilaterally than it has in the past, that too is a myth. Yes, America has has operated multilaterally in some instances. It did so, for instance, in the Yugoslavian wars in the mid-90s under Bill Clinton. It did so... Uh, with the Persian Gulf War in 1990-1991 under George H.W. Bush. But it acted unilaterally. America acted unilaterally in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan reestablished death squads in Central America, which led to much of the immigration problem that we now have today, that the very same people who tell us that Reagan was this great president ignore the fact that these death squads were well uh oil well were well oiled machines by the Reagan administration, and that the last immigration reform bill, so to speak, was passed in nineteen eighty six It was called the the Simpson Mazzoli bill signed by Ronald Reagan. It was an amnesty bill so when Ro- Donald Trump says, "Make America great again i don 't know what he 's talking about, and I also don 't know what he 's talking about in suggesting that America has not acted unilaterally. It's acted unilaterally in most of its foreign policy disasters. 
like the wars in Indochina, in Laos, in Vietnam, in South Vietnam, in Cambodia. These were unilateral actions. The United States acted unilaterally when it went into Lebanon in 1982, when Ronald Reagan was president. How did he solve his Lebanese failure? He invaded Grenada. Once again, a unilateral action by the United States. So this suggestion that we somehow have not been acting unilaterally in the past 70 years and that this some sort of new order is, is going to be created by Mr. Trump, I think is a bit of a myth. And let's remember that America first, just for the historical record, is not a new term. In 1940, uh, some haters of Franklin Roosevelt, to put it quite bluntly, mainly uh, people in the publishing industry and in the uh, in the retail sector, actually. It was the owners of companies like Montgomery Ward and Sears centered around Chicago in many ways because the Chicago Tribune was one of the most anti-Franklin Roosevelt papers in the country. They formed America first. Charles Lindbergh was involved in it. It was a approach um, and a movement that suggested that America could not and should not get involved in World War II. That, by the way, at that point was already underway. Uh, there were neutrality laws written in the 1930s that Roosevelt went around in clever ways. And quite frankly, had uh, America not kept Britain in the war in 1940 through Lend-Lease, um, Donald Trump's uh, inaugural, inaugural address might have been in German, not English. We don't know. America is blessed, of course, with the fact that we have big oceans on both sides of our west and east coasts, and we have neighbors specifically Mexico and Canada, that are overall throughout our history we've had relatively good relations with. They've been militarily weak, and we have dominated these countries. So when uh, Mr. Trump suggests that by renegotiating NAFTA, Americans are going to benefit, I'm not so sure. You know, I looked up an interesting thing in the in the World Almanac, the World Almanac does not have alternative facts. It has actual facts. And I was looking at uh, the last year from the statistics. I think it might have been 2010. It was about tourism. And during that year, there were 54 million tourists around the world that visited the United States. Uh, the rough contribution to our economy was about $800 billion. And th over 30 million of those tourists came from Canada and Mexico. So creating this sort of anti-Canadian, anti-Mexican uh, atmosphere that Donald Trump is, uh, I presume, going forward with because he made all these outrageous promises, uh, I don't think is going to benefit the United States. In fact, Michigan... Uh, could be one of the states hurt most by anti-NAFTA deals that are thrown asunder. George 
H.W. Bush signed NAFTA, not Bill Clinton. NAFTA went into effect under Bill Clinton. NAFTA was negotiated by the Reagan administration and by the Bush administration. George Bush's, H.W. Bush's Secretary of Commerce was Robert Mossbacher. That was his main contribution. And we have a new Secretary of Commerce uh, nominee called Wilbur Ross. He is a likable fellow. Uh, he's actually, in fact, formerly a Democrat. He's a billionaire. And uh, his hearings were, I thought, quite interesting. He's actually one of Trump's better picks. So I hope he's confirmed. Because Wilbur Ross, I've seen him interviewed probably a dozen times on television, is a calm man. He's a rational human being. And he may be able to temper some of Trump's uh, thin skin and thick head. Because I think if there's one thing we've learned about Donald Trump is that at the moment he is the commander-in-chief of being the commander of ethics conflicts in chief. He's already in technical violation of the emoluments clause. And in fact, the lawsuit was filed today against Donald Trump. Good. We got to keep the pressure on this man. He's had 60 days to clean up his business arrangements. And let's not fall for the the fiction that Donald Trump is some sort of successful businessman. I think that's been the, one of the biggest frauds that he's been able to perpetrate. And we'll certainly have more on that subject in upcoming days. But one of Trump's big lies in the last several weeks that he's gotten away was, with is this suggestion, by the way, that our allies abroad are not paying their fair share. Uh, of course, it turns out that Japan covers uh, 60% of the spending that goes on with the 45,000 military personnel that are there. There are 28,000 American troops in South Korea. There are movements in South Korea and Japan, by the way, in which they want the American troops to go home. Is that in America's interest? Well, let's have a debate about it. But let's not throw out false numbers and suggestions that some of our allies are not paying their way. Now, there have certainly been instances in American history, and I'll cite one more, involvement in the Middle East by Ronald Reagan. 1987, Ronald Reagan dispatched the American military to the Persian Gulf to protect Kuwaiti and Iraqi oil tankers that were being attacked by Iran in the Persian Gulf. That oil, of course, was going out to our allies, and, gee, we were picking up quite a bit of cost. In fact, there was an incident in the Persian Gulf called the USS Stark incident in which Iraq fired a missile at an American tanker that was deemed a mistake. And, of course, Reagan's tilt to Iraq in 87 was based on the fact that he had secretly sold arms to Iran he was trying to uh, clean up his uh, reputation, his legacy, so to speak. And that was an example of America picking up the tab for, uh, well, for the free flow of oil and the various uh, 
doctrines over the over the many decades that have suggested that we need to get oil in and out of the Middle East. Well, as part of the free trade agreement with Canada and Mexico, by the way, 40% of the total of that free trade is oil. Donald Trump has not explained to the American people how he's going to pay or actually deal with the fact that if he were to raise tariffs on Canada and Mexico, uh, the price of oil would go up significantly here in the United States. Does he want it? Is he proposing that we start buying it again from Saudi Arabia? No, I think there are many things that Donald Trump has no clue about. And one of his great uh, tendencies, of course, I regard it as somewhat of a a problem is the way he brags about everything. He's, a, he's, the, he's one of the biggest braggers we've ever seen in American history. And I think in that area, he is a great contrast to our last president, President Obama, who I think was, uh, will go down in history as a near great president. I don't think he's going to go down as George Washington or Franklin Roosevelt or Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln. He's not going to be in that category, but I think we can... We, we can safely say that Barack Obama is going to go down probably in the sort of Dwight Eisenhower, Woodrow Wilson, John F. Kennedy uh, area of great presidents. Maybe not quite as great as uh, Abraham Lincoln, but certainly um, a near great president. Barack Obama, though, I think had one great failing as president. And I think that it might have been that he read too much about Abraham Lincoln and not enough about Franklin Roosevelt. But let's remember that when Barack Obama came into office, our unemployment rate was going up. It was skyrocketing. We had had a financial crisis that was caused by deregulation, caused by tax cuts, And it was identical to the policies that were followed by Ronald Reagan in the 1980s where the same result occurred. 1980s, it was a savings and loan disaster. In the, uh, under uh, W. Bush, it was the uh, financial crisis. And we can have many debates about what should have happened. But the fact of the matter is Barack Obama's hope and change slogan was developed in 2007 The recession began in late 2007, and the Wall Street banks started to fail, and the contagion spread into the FDIC banks, and the TARP bailout was a necessary evil. But where Barack Obama fell a little short, I think, we had to pass the TARP. The stimulus package was passed by Barack Obama and the Democrats without any Republican votes. The deficit improved, and our economy slowly recovered. Now, it still has problems, don't get me wrong. But the unemployment rate right now is 4.8%. Barack Obama's going to have one more jobs report that I, you can officially kind of put under his presidency. But where Barack Obama fell a little short sometimes was selling, salesmanship. He's a quiet man. He's a modest man. And he didn't want to go around the country banging a drum holding parades, and bragging about what he was doing. But he should have done a little more of that, I think. And I wanted to quote here just a brief uh, paragraph, 
just a couple of sentences, about how Franklin Roosevelt used a symbol during the New Deal. It was called the Blue Eagle. The Blue Eagle was uh, part of the NRA, NIRA, uh, Economic Industrial Recovery Act. And he put a general in charge, a guy named Hugh Johnson. And it's interesting. I'm quoting here from Jane, uh, Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., who wrote, Under the standard of the Blue Eagle, Hugh Johnson now launched a furious assault on the nation's conscience and eardrums, moving around in an aura of mass meetings, motorcades, cheering crowds, and brass bands, using every device of appeal and persuasion to enlist support. Quote, when every American housewife understands that the Blue Eagle on everything that she permits to come into her home is a symbol of the restoration to security, he said. May God have mercy on the man or group of men who attempt to trifle with this bird. And this, you know, this was, of course, a technique that was developed by Roosevelt's uh, um, aides to sell the New Deal. The New Deal was a radical departure from laissez-faire economics. But the Blue Eagle campaign was an example of how the New Deal was sold to the public to get the public on your side. And if there's one thing I completely reject about Donald Trump, it's this idea that he speaks for the forgotten man. Oh, he speaks for the forgotten man. Um, there are, look, there are many, many forgotten people in our society. Many. But the idea that white people in Pennsylvania, and I'm not picking on Pennsylvania, but using them as an example, the idea that they are forgotten is, is nonsense. Um, they're not forgotten. Um, they have maybe forgotten about what's been going on in our country, uh, and have not been paying attention, but uh, they're not forgotten, and they're not demanding the justice that they deserve. As I say, this is a problem of the distribution of income in America, not the growth, not the wealth of our country. We have great wealth. We just need to distribute it a little better and give working people more of the share of the pie. I'm joined here by Jerry Mack, who's about to uh, do Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. In just a few minutes, Dick. But I since, understand you were at the march. Since you were solo tonight, I thought I would come in for a couple minutes and put my two cents in about the Women's March in Washington. Which I heard I you were there, yeah. I attended this weekend, yes. Well, I heard that on CBN, actually. Oh, yeah, right, right. My uh, Your sub. sub. Uh, Mr. Mick was taken over for me and probably mentioned that. So thank you, Mick, for doing that. And uh, I just want to take a couple minutes here because this is a current event that happened. Sure. And uh, already in the mainstream media, it seems to have been forgotten. Uh, all I noticed today was talk about uh, uh, Trump's picks in that uh, yeah. for the cabinet and this ongoing thing with uh, this, uh, the CIA speech and that. That's a hot topic right now, right. amongst many other things. But that can easily, uh, you know, 
be the wave that covers up a very important and poignant and vibrant event that happened this weekend. And I'm not talking about the inauguration. I'm talking about the Women's March on Washington that happened Saturday, which I attended uh, with uh, my girlfriend Linda Ray and a couple of her friends from the Annapolis, Maryland area. And uh, they well, 